Warning. While Stephanie Meyer may have written Twilight for children and young adults, Twilight, a literary podcast, contains adult content. If that kind of stuff isn't your speed, feel free to stop here. Everyone else, please sit back and enjoy our explicit podcast. Ooh, yeah, baby! That's right, it's time for Twilight, your literary deep dive to the blood-sucking skin sparkling world of Twilight. From a lifelong fan. And a first-time reader. Join us as we try to answer the question, Does, does it, it suck? Jess, hello. You're Jess. I'm Spencer. Hi. Thank I'm, you, guys. I'm listening. Jess, and you're Spencer. I do want to start up up top? Start up at what? I want to start up top <laughs> by um, a little uh, apology slash kind of a correction. As it was pointed out to me by my friend Yosho, I, I was a little hard on Lincoln Park last episode. Ah, <laughs> good to I, hear. I I do like Lincoln Park. Yes, they, they, you do. You know, especially those first couple albums, they meant a lot to me at the time. Yeah, and they're good. They're good. It's good music. I was, I was just surprised. I was, you know, speaking out of shock. Um, so I just to all the members of Lincoln Park, uh, please give us money. Um, <laughs> but also, I am sorry. Yeah, I am glad that somebody else had the same thought that I did. I was disappointed mm-hmm. in your disappointment. I, I just it was not where I expected that conversation to go. But that's not Lincoln Park's fault. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get this podcast started, Spencer. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Hot. Great. So we're going to start off by giving you guys a quick refresh on what happened in today's chapters. Take it away, Spence. Chapter 20, Impatience. Bella wakes up in a strange bed, blissfully forgetting for a moment where she actually was. But the bland design of the room around her brings her back. She's returned to Phoenix. It's hot. It's a dry heat. (laughs) Thanks to a lack of need for sleep and a total disregard for traffic laws, Bella, Jasper, and Alice were able to make the three-day drive in just one. I mean, she she can see when, like, a cop is going to come. Right. That makes sense. You know, but still, they're, they're not living within the laws. No. Alice comes into her room with food having been reminded by Edward that humans, in fact, eat more than once a day. I feel like that's something, that's like do, too, doing too much. Like, you can't be that far removed. Right. You you understand, like, you guys had a lunch period. <laughs> so you knew what, like, the different meals of the day were. Yeah. Like, that's not, <laughs> come on. Wow. You're, you're not even, like, centuries old. Like, you're, yeah. you're like, <laughs> well. chill, chill. As Bella forces down her breakfast, the two vampires sit quietly waiting for Carlisle to call. While they may be perfectly content waiting, the lack of action only causes Bella's anxiety to grow. On top of worrying about her family, she's terrified of someone getting hurt trying to protect her. Sensing her distress, Jasper uses his ability to calm her down, and Alice tells her that Edward has been alone for over 100 years. 
and they could not stand to look into his eyes for the next 100 if they lost her. Kind of a kind of a <laughs> shitty compliment there. Like, like yeah. we're going to protect you, don't worry, because we him. can't <laughs> deal with Edward being mopey about you dying. So uh, I get what she was trying to yeah. say, but that was a, you could have done better than that. I agree. Bella does begin to feel better, but she can't fully trust her own emotions while Jasper is around, which is honestly kind of fucked up. Like, he has a more fucked up power in some ways than Edward's. I mean... It's, like, kind of invasive. You don't even know I would say it's, anymore. like, as, like, invasive as Edward's. Yeah, but this one controls you. That's true. You know? That's very, yeah, manipulative. He was probably manipulative as a human. Although I would fucking love to have him around. Please. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like uh, Human Xanax. Like, for just, real. Right? Or vampire Xanax. <laughs> I know. Not human, but... Uh. She goes to her room to be alone, but Alice follows her in, likely under orders from Edward. She catches Bella up with the rest of the family. Esme and Rosalie are led Victoria, the female evil vampire, yes. out far away from town as possible and then came back once they lost track of her to come and protect Daddy Swan. Saddy Swan. Yeah, as, as he is now dubbed Saddy Swan. <laughs> Meanwhile, Carlisle and the rest of the gang are leading James up north in hopes to ambush him and take him out. Bella then convinces Alice to explain to her the process of turning a human into a vampire. Bum, bum, bum. Alice is hesitant, noting that Edward would be very angry with her, but she's pretty easily convinced to go ahead and tell her. <laughs> she's like, ah, fuck it. She's like, no, I shouldn't. Okay, but. Yeah. Well, vampires, on top of all their other fucking gnarly ass fucking abilities, they're also venomous. Hell yeah. Hell fucking metal. Um, while not lethal, uh, the venom from a vampire bite is so painful that it leaves their prey paralyzed. Most of the time, they kill their prey before the venom has any time to spread. But if it does, the venom will slowly begin to transform its new host. So long as the heart keeps beating, the victim will be completely transformed within just a few days, praying for death every second of the way. Yikes. Not what you want it's really not which i but i kind of like it because it's like it gives you pr like a price to pay sounds like a weekend with the in-laws <laughs> bella asks alice about her transformation but she doesn't really remember it or anything from her human life the two sit in silence for a moment when alice suddenly shoots up in tension her prediction has changed jasper immediately appears in the room and asks her what's what she's seen she describes a room with wooden floors, with a wooden floor and wall-length mirrors featuring a golden stripe running across them. The room will be important in the future, she knows, but another decision has to be made for its purpose to become clear. Mm. Right now, all she can see is James in a dark room somewhere watching something on a VCR, whatever that is. <laughs> Carlisle calls and tells them that they lost track of James and he's now on a plane. Book. Not what you want. Uh, Alice... It's weird to think of him on a plane. Yeah. Like just sitting there for two hours. Yeah, that's strange. Do you think he, like, would, would, would he do, like, how they will insist on getting school lunch? Will he just keep accepting, like, the plane food and just, like, hold the bag of peanuts there and not eat them? No, I don't think so. Alice hands the phone to Bella to talk to Edward. He apologizes for losing the tracker, who he thinks is now flying back to Forks. 
He assures her that Esme and Rosalie are keeping Daddy Swan safe. And they end the call with Edward finally telling Bella that he loves her. God, took you long enough, my guy. I know. Like, I would feel so self-conscious if that was me. Right. Like, he's, she said it so many times. Yeah. Bella hangs up and sees Jasper watching over Alice's shoulder as she sketches a long, rectangular room. Bella recognizes it as, the ba- as a ballet studio, one very similar to the one she went to as a kid. She can't be sure it's the same one, but that studio is just happens to just be around the corner from her mother's home. Wow. If you <laughs> didn't feel dread before, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, who the fuck lives, like, down the street from a ballet studio? And then I realized that we do. (laughs) We literally do. We have to drive past it to go to the grocery store. (laughs) Worried about her mother, who's supposed to return soon, Bella calls the home and leaves a message with Alice's cell number. The two vampires go back to sitting quietly, and Bella drifts off to sleep there on the couch. Chapter 21, Phone Call. When Bella wakes up, she sees Jasper again watching as Alice draws. Bella comes over to see and tells them it's her mother's house. In an instant, Alice is calling Edward and Jasper places the hand on Bella, dulling her rising panic. Again, man, I gotta get me something like that. Right? Fuck yeah, dude. Alice hangs up and tells them that Edward, Emmett, and Carlisle are taking the first flight down to Phoenix. Bella's panic breaks through Jasper's seal as she fears the hunter is after her family. Unable to calm her down, Jasper uses his power. Jasper uses his powers to make Bella want to fall asleep. Manipulating. Yeah, a little. I'm, I'm cool if you're chilling me out, but don't don't put me in a coma. Yeah, bro. I mean, said but. every drug user. <laughs> Realizing what he's doing, Bella breaks out of his influence and runs to her room. A few hours later, when another call comes, she com- she leaves her room, and Alice tells Bella that it's Edward and that the others are boarding the flight. Jasper has left to check out so that they can move to a location a bit closer to Renee's house. Alice's phone rings yet again, and she hands it to Bella. From the phone comes a familiar voice, Bella's mother yelling for her with the same tone she used to scold Bella as a child. Before she can say more, the voice is replaced with the disturbingly unremarkable tenor of James. I imagine her body just goes cold. Oh, can you imagine? Like like one moment you hear your mom screaming, and then it's... um, Immediately, the next voice you hear is someone you know is trying to kill you. Yeah. Fuck, dude. Um, He instructs Bella to act normal and to go to her room alone. He says that he won't hurt her mother so long as she gets away from Alice and Jasper and goes to her mother's home. Bella agrees and returns the phone to Alice. She goes back to her room and writes a letter to Edward, apologizing for her choices and begging him not to go after James anymore. Because she's, like, terrified that he's going to get hurt, which is very sweet. It is sweet. She finds an envelope and seals away the letter, and with it, her heart. Oh. Um, so they so that text of the letter in the book is, like, handwritten? Or, yes. you know, it's made to appear that way? Uh-huh. The eyes in that are f- fucking weird. I've never seen an eye shaped like that eye and i'm guessing it's stephanie myers's handwriting interesting I, it's like I, they're like super long and like kind of like they almost look like the function f symbol for calculus oh. to all my calc heads out there calc. like it's like just really long and kind of like curves at the end it's weird really weird hmm. and i'm judging i never noticed that well that's that kind of 
deep muff diving analysis you only get here at Twilight, a Larry <laughs> podcast. Chapter 22, Hide and Seek. Bella leaves her room to find Alice in a trance, gripping the desk and rocking her head slowly back and forth. Wow. Yeah. Creepy. Creepy. <laughs> yeah. Exorcist going on over here. Jasper soon arrives and pries her off of the desk. After a moment, she returns to normal, but won't say exactly what she saw. Bella suspects Alice saw her own death, or saw Bella's death. But strangely, she finds the idea comforting. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty fucking, deep. she's emo. <laughs> yeah. Like, chill. She's getting real goth. <laughs> the trio get ready and leave for the airport. As they wait for Edward's flight to arrive, Bella gives Alice her letter and asks Jasper to walk with her to get food. Quite suspiciously, I feel like. Oh, can he come? I'm feeling. Yeah, and then like she's like saying no to every restaurant. He's like, no, no, I don't like that. But then again, they like don't even they can't even understand like that's true. Th- that humans human. eat more than once a day. <laughs> so they they don't even know what's normal. Right. <laughs> Still unsure how to get away from her vampire escorts, Bella pretends not to like any of the airport restaurants in order to give herself more time. Then she spots a woman's restroom and remembers it from her childhood, specifically that it has two exits. It's a bit bit convenient. I mean, I've been in those before. Right, but I don't know. So she goes in and quickly sneaks out the other side and goes into a full sprint through the airport. Which is just the ultimate embarrassing thing to have to do in I any know. public place to start running. Right? Oh, and like, especially when tragic. you're trying to avoid suspicion, like, you might as well, like... Just, yeah, just be <laughs> shooting a gun off. Like, exactly. it's just like, oh, God, tragic. Mm-hmm. She makes it outside, but she can't find a taxi anywhere. She resorts to using a Hyatt shuttle, and from the hotel, she grabs a cab to Renee's house. Along the way, she allows herself one last moment of peace, daydreaming about seeing Edward one more time. Which you never will. It's sad. But you know what? That is the beauty of manifesting your desires. You got to meditate on it. Like manifesting your destiny? Would you say that? No, I wouldn't. Mm, Almost got you. (laughs) Get you canceled. Once she reaches her home, she calls James with the number he left for her, and and he instructs her to go to the ballet studio. And just want to give myself a little pat on the back. I kind of accidentally foreshadowed this. Oh, yeah? In our first episode when I went over the ballet with Bella's name. Oh. And, uh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Swan Lake. Bella Swan Ballet. My mind I'm on to you, Steffi M. I fucking know. I know. I know what you're doing. Hell yeah! I got. I'm fucking on to you. <laughs> she runs down the road to the studio, finding it closed for spring break. Spring break. Spring break. She pushes through the unlocked door and slowly moves through the familiar building. From one from one of the empty dancers, she can hear her mother's frantic voice calling for her. She runs inside and sees her mother up on a TV screen, calling to her. In the past, from an old family movie. She got got. She got got. God damn it. The video shuts off, and she turns around to see the cruel, smiling face of the hunter <gasps> behind her. Hunter Biden? No, like the hunter, like from the preface. What about his laptop? <laughs> he never had her mother at all. She was still in Florida, Ugh. unaware of any danger. Wow. She's in plenty danger in Florida. I mean, for sure. <laughs> James taunts her for falling for his roots, but Bella, surprisingly, doesn't care. She's just simply relieved knowing that her mother is okay 
and that the nightmare will soon be over. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe she, I think, she, I feel like this is unrealistic, but maybe I'm just not a good person, but I would uh, not be handling this situation that No, well. I'd be fucking panicking. Yeah, I'd be crying already. Oh, God damn. I, yeah, I, this is definitely where I do not relate to mm-hmm. Bella at all. No. The hunter asks if she thinks Edward will try to avenge her, and Bella says that she's asked him not to, much to his disappointment, as he was hoping for another challenge. James then goes full evil villain, explaining in tedious detail every step of his master plan to capture Bella. (laughs) Of course he does. (laughs) Because he's that kind of douchebag. He then shows her the camera he set up for his OnlyFans account, (laughs) which he will now be using to film his murder. What is that called? A snuff film? Yeah, he's upgrading to snuff films. (laughs) Damn. And he will use that video to bait Edward into seeking out revenge. Still not shutting up, he tells her about the only other time his prey escaped him. Just like Bella, it was a human befriended by a vampire. When the vampire learned James was after the human, they freed the human from the asylum that they had worked at. In order to ensure their safety, they turned the human into a vampire. And that human turned out to be Albert Einstein. No. It's true. No. Just kidding, it was Alice. Alice! Now we get some backstory. Man, you want to learn something, go ask Alice. Is that like a thing? Is that a book? It's a book. That's a book. It's also a Jefferson Airplane song. Love that band. Edward wouldn't because it's not from the 50s. (laughs) And he's a dumbass. James lost interest in Alice, but killed the old vampire for ruining his prey. Finally finished with his monologue. The hunter circles Bella, pain and bloodlust emanating from his eyes. Though she knows it's useless, Bella attempts to run away. Because <laughs> of course she does. I mean, I would too. I mean, I guess. Um, but James knocks her back into the wall. Her head crashes against the mirror, sending pieces crumbling along to the floor, distorting the reflection behind her. Bella crawls toward the exit, but James sets his foot on her leg and snaps it effortlessly. Like she's a quarterback for the Washington football team. (laughs) Tried. They just had a third quarterback in their history in November get their leg completely just destroyed on on the field. Oh fuck! It's the first time in their team's history. A third time this has happened to them. Like famously gruesome injuries. It's it's, the team's curse. (laughs) I wonder what it could be. The pain that had been masked by adrenaline comes roaring in as Bella screams in agony. James throws her once again into the wall, this time sending blood spilling down her face, the metallic scent twisting her stomach. Metal. Oh, just a great description by Stephanie Meyer. Remind me of uh, like a Stephen King. Stephen King writes great fight scenes, like Mm. some very brutal imagery, someone getting injured. Nice. But this is really good. That idea of on top of everything, like you're getting nauseous from the scent of your own blood, fucking... Yeah. Metal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> With the dark clouds of unconsciousness seeping into her peripheries, Bella sees uncontrollable bloodlust appear in the hunter's eyes, giving her a final, fleeting bit of hope that her pain will be over soon. Her hands reflexively move to guard her face, her eyes close, and her mind drifts away. Four. Wow. And that's it, folks. Wow. That's the end of the series. We did it. Um, so, so proud of this team. <laughs> Of this crew, we want to thank our editor, us. Yes. <laughs> um, our publisher, also us. Us. Well, 
there's a lot of information that we learned in these chapters, Spencer, and mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you. Go ahead. What have you learned this week about vampires? And do you have any prediction for what's to come? I think I could come up with some shit. Hell yeah. So sort of discussion, some vampire stuff we learned. Mm, like the transformations are a lot more like, Again, it kind of goes into the theory that, like, Stephanie has, like, some interest in science or something. It's very biological. It's very, like, specific how it actually works. Yeah. Whereas, like, a lot of vampire stories, it's very vague and more, like, magical or spiritual Right, she's kind of, like, thought it through She's like, no, so it's like a venom, and it, like, actually, like, as it pumps through your body, it it goes and and, uh, integrates into your own cells and Mm -hmm. stuff. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Can animals be turned? Uh, No, I think it's more of just, like actual venom to them yeah that's kind of what i was thinking but i thought of that as i was reading and then it's fucking wild vampire animals yeah i don't want to think about it It sounds terrifying (laughs) and it seemed they seemed to imply that alice was having visions as a human too that's why she was in the asylum uh yeah more in the um my section also in my section oh (laughs) i i I didn't look anything up but i talk about that a little bit of mine gotcha um but it's mostly i make it I'm making a lot of uh, guesses, so we'll mm. see. If I'll immediately, immediately learn, learn how out. wrong I am. <laughs> Alice and Jasper, again, it kind of hints that vampires see time more slowly, I feel like. The way they're just like kind of sitting, chilling. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, they live forever. Right, so, so I think it's just their perception of time is warped. But that that's all the vampire stuff. Also, we got more info on the um, how relatively good-smelling Bella is to others, which, yeah. which I guess Alice is better smelling to the hunters. So it really is a preference thing. Yeah, like individual people mm-hmm. might smell better overall mm-hmm. and then even better to particular vampires. Kind of like real humans. We, we're not conscious of it, but we're naturally attracted to people with good uh, smells, opposite immune systems to us. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Th- that people that have pheromones in different sense that um, we lack because that's better for mating. Gotcha. And mawage. Well, what about your predictions? Oh, I have a prediction or two. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, I think the blood, her being cut, Bella, at the end there, yeah. I think that's how Edward's going to find her or the rest of the Cullens. I think they're going to smell her. Because oh. it's very specific about mentioning now. At the end, blood was there. Now right. she's bleeding mm-hmm. actively. Um, Bella's going to die, and uh, we're, we're not going to see her the rest of the series. I'm calling that. Okay. Doubling down. Wow. Uh, all in on that prediction. All right. How much you want to put? $8,000. To me? Mm-hmm. Okay. From our joint account. <laughs> um, I think Alice's memory loss is going to be a big thing. It seems like that's, I feel like it's going to be like intentional or something. Like mm. she, like her memory is like wiped or like they tried to erase her memory. And I think it has something to do with her powers maybe. Okay. Like it, like it's like a irony thing. Like she can see in the future, but like she, her memory is poor. Like she can't remember her past. Kind mm-hmm. of I- irony thing there. Yeah, I think that'll be a thing. But that's about it. That's all I'm predicting right now. Okay. No big predictions, except that I think our main character will die. Okay. I permanently and forever. I can't wait to find out. Me, me neither. And I so hope I'm is, right. Yeah, you will. If I'm wrong, I will quit. Okay. Okay. Got it. All right. Enough of that. Enough of that crap. It's time to get serious. Yeah, Spencer, let's get serious Wait, here. Do you hear that? That's some horns. I think <laughs> I think I hear traffic. That's right. We're on the road to pretension. Oh shit. Oh yeah. I gotta buckle up. Buckle up. Because we're gonna be doing some deep diving right now. So 
This week, I'm going to cover a major theme and a classic piece of literature and see how they stack up in this week's chapter. Starting out with our major theme of the week, we're going to talk about violation. Interesting. I can't wait to see where you take this. Oh, you'll see. Oh, I will. So these chapters have, to say the least, been pretty rough for Bella. I'd say. Uh, as we wrap up to the conclusion of the first book, we find our protagonists in their most desperate state. But going through these chapters, I find what really affected me most, like empathy-wise, as far as how I felt for Bella, was just how intimate um, the pain inflicted on Bella was. So some of the things we, we hold the most sacred as a culture and as individuals become tainted and weaponized by both her friends and her foes. And I think, and so Bella's getting attacked in a lot of different ways, and I, you know, she's suffering a lot of different feelings. Feelings, like a lot of bad shits happened to her. And I think you can break this these different violations down into how they affect her past, her present, and her future. Okay. And how these things are all getting corrupted for her. So first, looking at the present, we see the violation of Bella's freedom and her own agency. Oh yeah. She's you know whisked away from her entire life, moved across the country without any control over what happens to her, really. I mean, yeah. while it's for her own protection, she's essentially a prisoner. And so when James, her enemy, calls her, he doesn't doesn't ask her to get away. She He asks if she can get away because she has to, like, she's she has, trapped. She, yeah, exactly. They've got a close watch on her. Exactly, yeah. The, one of the major action pieces of these chapters was Bella escaping Jasper and Alice, her protectors. Right which kind of shows how their relationship, what their relationship is. Yeah. Um, and then one of those guardians, Jasper, we kind of mentioned before, but huge violation of like your own self-will. Yeah. So he violates her own autonomy by muting and altering her emotions yeah. in a very, like, again, doing it to help her, but like, he it never asked. the line crossed here. Right. And like... he's not, he doesn't ask her. He, he just assumes and he starts altering her emotions when he thinks she's feeling too much or right. going to feel too much. And so, like, that's a nightmare. Like, you're, yeah. you have no control over your, where you're going physically. You can't trust your own feelings because someone else is controlling them. It's like... Yeah, fuck, it's like being Britney Spears right now. I, I was literally... <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> oh, my God. That's sad. It's really sad. It, it is Britney. really sad. Yeah. Fucking free Britney. Yeah. Tragic. But... That's, I was opened my mouth to say Britney Spears. Oh, that's funny. Wow. So looking at the past, we see Bella's childhood corrupted by James. He enters her childhood home and steals a VHS, whatever that is, containing their home movies. He then uses the audio from those movies to lure her to her own death. You know, forever, those memories are now tainted. True. He, he's just taken what is probably one of her, I think it might have been at the tide pools. It, or it well, was up north or something. It was well, it was when she, she was 12, mm -hmm. and they were visiting her grandmother in California. That's where her oh, grandmother okay. lived. And that was like the last time she really yeah. got to see her. And it's just like, well, now that's always going to be the scream yeah, of your mother that you heard when you were nearly killed. Yeah. Or when she is killed. And so finally, the greatest violation Bella suffers, the theft of her own future. So I've kind of had, and this isn't original, but it's something I, I thought about for a long time, this theory that when you when you really break it down, pretty much every crime is theft. Yeah. You, you know, like assault is, is taking away someone's safety. Cheating is taking away someone's 
trust or taken away, you know, fairness right. from them. Um, and our the greatest crime, probably, you know, that I think pretty much every society agrees on, taking someone's life from them. Yeah. And now, obviously, Bella isn't going to die. I wrote that before I did the bit earlier <laughs> about her Danny die. She's probably, for real, she's probably not going to die. I think that's safe. But James has every intention of taking Bella's life, and she has every reason to believe that he will. What's interesting is that the most heinous violation inflicted on Bella does the least amount of damage to her. It affects her the least. She doesn't want to die, but she finds some comfort in the finality of it. Mm. And I think this shows the depth of the violation she's seen. The extent of it is so severe. She suffered so much that it's worn away her self-identity to the point that she's lost her desire for self-preservation. I like that take. Yeah, and... I'm going to talk about this a little more in our text, but I, th- I think it's it shows a, just how trauma like this can really just kind of take someone's yeah. life away and just Lucky take well. all their humanity out of them to the point that they're in a shell and just do what you want. I mean, at the end, yeah, she just closes her eyes and she just wants it, it to be quickly. done. She doesn't yeah. care. Yeah. Now, to prove that YA can be lit, too, I'm going to take a classic piece of literature and see how it compares to our chapters this week. And this week, we'll be looking at the patron saint of sad girls the world over, Sylvia Plath, and her beautiful novel, The Bell Jar. Fuck yeah. Or as it's translated in Spanish, La Bell Jar. So The Bell Jar is a semi-autobiographical story of Esther Greenwood, a college student who travels to New York after winning a contest to intern for a fashion magazine, a lifelong dream of hers. And the plot follows Esther's struggles with mental illness and her eventual triumph over it. So I chose this book for kind of specific reasons. There was one line, it was almost a throwaway, about Alice being locked up in asylum when she was a human mm. and received electroshock therapy. Yes. And it immediately reminded me of the bell jar and the intense, specific feelings that, that the bell jar gave me when I read it. Damn, you're making me want to read it. I haven't it's read very it before. Good. It's very good. Um, I made fun of her at top but for being a sad girl book, but it is a very beautiful book. And Yeah. Sylvia Plath's a great writer. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> I would have thought. Underrated. So you could probably guess by, you know, how I behave and everything that I've said that I have had struggles with mental illness. Right. Not not close to the same level as, you know, Plath or, or um, her character, Esther. But enough that I often think about how much harder it would be to cope with my, my personal issues if I lived in a different time. Like, Oh, yeah. And that's what gets me about this book is... When you learn about the kind of treatments people would receive uh, for mental illness, like only 40, 50 years ago, most of which were useless, if not outright harmful, I just can't imagine the pain they, they must have felt and went through. Because um, uh, the bell jar takes place most, you know, of the in the 50s, mm-hmm. um, I believe. So we don't have many details about Alice's time in the asylum yet. I want to talk about the kind of Im- implied damage and and pain that that experience would have caused her because it's implied that Alice was placed in the asylum because of her visions 
So her doctors probably believed she was just having delusions and was a woman. Right. She, they probably thought her period was broken or some some dumb shit. <laughs> some, yeah. <laughs> They're like, you need to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> They, they were they didn't cough for COVID back then. It was just cigarettes. Yeah, no. And you could just stop cigarettes. smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Must be nice. <laughs> and they probably, and then they used, it said that they used shock treatment and probably other worthless therapies to dull those visions or delusions, as they would call them. Right. And they've, you know, really the failure of this is the failure to respect and understand her ability in any meaningful way. Instead, they saw something that wasn't normal and then they removed it, like a tumor or a gangrenous limb. So you can see this theme in the bell jar when, after receiving her first electroshock treatment, uh, Esther finds that she can no longer think of knives, her preferred tool for self-harm. Oh, interesting. So while this is a positive step for her, it serves as a metaphor for the doling of her mental abilities oh, in every yeah. aspect, both positive and negative. Right. And, you know, that's something I've always feared with getting help for my mental issues. It's just the, the fear of even the, even though these parts of me are bad and I don't like them and I'm obviously trying to get them fixed, it's, it's a fear of, like, losing that part of you because you don't know what it will mean, what right. it will be afterwards. And yeah. it's what else is going to go with. So. That's what makes the bell jar so impactful is that brutal honesty directly discusses the devastating effects of mental illness, but also the sacrifices that we that often have to be made in order to combat it. Yeah. For Alice, it hindered her ability to see into the future, much in the same way it hindered Esther and Plath's ability to see the viability in their future. And sadly, um, Sylvia Plath eventually committed suicide. And while her character in the book got better, you know, uh, Plath didn't in the end. And, you know, I think suicide is ultimately a a failure of, not a failure, but is a issue with your mind that you can't see the future as viable anymore. Right. And it's very sad. That is sad. Damn. And we're about to get a little sadder. Take it away, babe. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Nah, just, just kidding. Just kidding. We're slowing down. Yeah. We're cruising. We're turning off that uh that main road. No, what what's the, cruise control. We're turning yeah. off that cruise control and we're uh we're gonna go ahead and go to the truck stop of tidbits. Take it away, Jess. Tell us some tidbits. Thank you, Spencer. I am gonna learn you something today. Guess what it's gonna be about, Spence? Porridge. Nope, it's gonna be about Albert Einstein. What? <laughs> oh my God! Just kidding. I'm going to talk about Alice today, y'all. Oh. Alice is a cool character, though, so don't be disappointed oh. because she has a very rich backstory that, similar to Esme's, is also, uh, it's not similar, but is also not mentioned in the books very much. Mm-hmm. Pretty much what you know is what we know. Right. So. I have a little bit of a backstory from the illustrated guide to the uh, Twilight universe. And Alice was born Mary Alice Brandon in 1901 in Biloxi, Mississippi. Hey, dad used to live there. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, a lot of casinos. Huh. Yeah. Well, she was the eldest of two children. I had a- neighbors um, I lived across the street from us when I'd spend the summers there, and... Um, 
I didn't like playing with them because they couldn't like play board games or anything because they couldn't read. <laughs> oh shit! So that's sad. So it was Mississippi. But... <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. I just wanted to tell that story. You're good. She was the eldest of two children in a middle class family. Her father was a jeweler, and she had a younger sister, Cynthia, who was nine years younger than her. Now, her father was often away for work, um, you know, selling pearls or some shit. (laughs) Always hawking them pearls. (laughs) And so it was usually just the two girls and their mother tending to the home and the orchard on their property. Ellis had always had premonitions, even as she was a human, but it just wasn't as pronounced and, I guess, clear. Right. For instance, according to the illustrated guide, she would dress for the weather, even though the sky was clear, but she always ended up being right. I mean, but it was Mississippi. There's not a high variance rate of weather there. Well, she... Is it... Is it... She un- kept predictably human or she, just unbearably humid? <laughs> As she got older, she started kind of hiding her premonition because sometimes she would predict bad things happening to people and Mm -hmm. like when they would come true they'd be like oh you're a fucking witch or they could be like thank you now i now i know to trust you to save my life but that wasn't the case right people began to talk and they called her names like witch or changeling yeah and it's at this time in her life that alice has her most horrifying vision yet she sees her period coming worse (gasps) She see her. She sees her mother murdered by a stranger in the woods. Oh! As she makes her way into town, a hunter perhaps. <laughs> she told her mother about it, and her mom believed her. She locked herself and the two girls up in the house with the pistol ready. But then, uh, Mister Brandon returned home from a trip two days later to quote a dirty house full of terrified women. Hey. And I gotta say, he was don't not knock ple- it till you try it. He was not pleased with it. Hey man, I'd I'd, I'd lean in. Um, well, he searched the woods nearby, found nothing, and was angry with Alice and ordered her not to freak everybody out like that again. And you know, I'm sure Alice didn't mean to freak them out, but right. you know, she just kept seeing these visions of this stranger stalking her mother. Mm-hmm. But then, whenever she would talk to her parents about her, her dad would like blow up on her. And he demanded that everyone remain normal. Like, don't fucking freak out. Okay, guys? But, you know, he would have to travel for for work. And Alice's Mm -hmm. mother was still wary. But then after a month, she was less wary. And after two months, she began forgetting to carry her pistol with her. Oh, no. Um, Yeah. And so things were kind of... If she was a Texan, she wouldn't have. (laughs) But she ain't. But she ain't. But as things started kind of returning back to normal, Alice had another vision. This time it was of a man, of that same man, running her mother's car off the road with his Model T. (gasps) And I think it's funny that. (laughs) I forget how old they are. The fact that. um, Running Model T off the road? No, that Stephanie Meyer specified that it was a Model T. Oh, well, of course. (laughs) Meyer, you you won't get a a free Model T. They're not giving them out now. At that time that she had her vision, her mother actually had just left to go to the store Mm. in the car. And so Alice tried running after her, um, even when she had visions basically confirming that she was too late. She kept running anyways. 
and her mother's death was declared an accident. Mm. But to avoid the bad reputation that Alice's vision had already given the family with the rest of the people in town, um, Alice's father ordered her to stay silent, even though she knew that it was not an accident. Bad parenting. Yes. It's almost like he did it. Wait till you hear this. Nope. Six months later, (gasps) guess what? Um... Uh, the uh, Great Depression. No, he remarries. <gasps> Her corpse? With it? No, he remarries somebody else. Oh. And was this new stepmother. Esme. No. Ah. She just wasn't smart, and oh. she let slip some kind of, like evidence that she had oh. spent more time planning to marry her father than was like actually possible within that six month time frame. And so Alice grew suspicious of the stepmother, thinking like, "Oh, she killed my mom." And she took those suspicions to her dad. Bad, bad, wrong person. I know. Clearly uh, he's in on it. Well, she didn't think that. Well, she's stupid and she and deserved what she got. This caused her dad to go like fucking berserk on her. And, and that night, she, while going to bed, um, had a vision of her father giving money to the man who killed her mother. And then had another vi- vision of that same man standing over her with a knife. And then she fucking ran away right then and there. Fuck! She ran away five miles to her aunt and uncle's place. Uh-huh. Um, however, there was an issue because remember when I said that she would predict bad things would happen to people? Yeah. Well, she predicted that her cousin would die, and he did. And her aunt never forgave her for that. And so they promptly kicked her off the property. Why, what, why is? How is it her fault? She's helping. You know, people just... No, I don't. Well... <laughs> Confused. This is back, I don't get it. Back in the 1900s, early 1900s. What's going on here? <laughs> it's me, Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld, Seinfeld <laughs> Sr. <laughs> and it's 1820. What's going on here? <laughs> a Model T. <laughs> you do a good. What's next? A Jer- Model S. You do a good, Jerry. They're going to do the whole alphabet. What's going on here? I bet your dad likes this. <laughs> this is how I'll know if my dad listened or not. <laughs> if, he, <laughs> if he says something about <laughs> my Seinfeld. So then she ran 10 miles from her aunt and uncle's house <laughs> to the town marshal's house. But by the time she got there, her aunt and her father were already there. Damn. Yeah. So she was put in an asylum two counties away. And there, her head was shaved uh, <gasps> due to like a disease outbreak or fear of a disease Lice. outbreak. No, it was like Lyme disease, typhoid or something. Why do I have to shave your head for typhoid? I don't know. I could be lying. Uh, she was also suggested to electroshock therapy. Hell yeah. Um, the therapy fucking in quotation lightning. quotation therapy yeah. <laughs> caused her to lose her memory. Um, nice, but. In that happening, it was nice because she got her cheerful disposition back. I, she couldn't remember all the pain and suffering. Hey, hey. So it worked. That's where the booze is for. <laughs> I, I could do the same thing with my Smirnoff. <laughs> Guys, don't do that. We're not telling you to do that. No, just drink uh, cough medicine. Just get a lobotomy instead. I'd rather have a bottle in front of me than a front of lobotomy. <laughs> That's funny. I've never heard that. Literally. Oh. I've never I heard that. I didn't make it up. I know. But I... I, I knew you didn't make it up, but I also never heard it. Anyways, it just so happened that at this asylum where Alice was being held 
there was a vampire who worked as a groundskeeper. Oh. Um, the only reason, though, was so that he could... Why would, if you're a vampire, why, maybe you're about to say and it just... I am, you. yes. Never mind. <laughs> I was like, why is he a groundskeeper? But sorry. Uh, it mainly we'll as that. a way to feed and not attract attention to himself. Yeah, but he can do groundskeeper work all day. I mean, he's a vampire. It's really not that hard. <laughs> but he ended up Dad, forming... I don't want to mow the one. I want to write books. <laughs> My dad's getting a lot of attention this episode. <laughs> so this vampire ended up forming an attachment to Alice. Mm. Unfortunately, though, this is where James comes into the story. Always unfortunate. I know. He actually caught her scent in her hometown two counties away. Oh. It was a very old scent, but he was like, uh, it was like Bella was to Edward. So right. she had this very, uh, he was like, I got to find her. It's like, I got to have it. But as and as soon as he caught her scent, Alice had a vision of him catching her scent and ca- killing her essentially. Ooh. And she turned to the vampire, her friend. Did she, she didn't know, know he was a vampire. Oh, okay. I, don't, I don't think he knew. She knew. Um, and he he planned to escape with her, but every plan that they were coming up with ended mm-hmm. with James catching them, like every oh. single one. Like she knew every time she could yeah, see she, how it yeah, was. Yeah, exactly. Damn. She would see how it played out. Always ended with James. Um, and Ugh. then. That's whenever he decided, uh, the vampire decided to change her. Mm-hmm. And she said it might work, um, but it's going to be really close because, you know, it mm-hmm. takes a while for the transition right. to happen. Um, and so he hid her and served as a distraction to, you know, distract James for enough time for Alice mm-hmm. to change. And it worked, but the vampire died and Alice woke up alone in the dark mm-hmm. and when the transformation happened it, it it did the same thing that the electroshock therapy did it wiped her memory Damn. so she woke up alone in the dark with no memory and is now a vampire and is now a vampire and does not know what that is exactly like, Damn. that's terrifying right that's not great yeah but luckily she had her visions ah. and her first vision and and as a vampire, they were much more crisp and clear and, like, refined. Mm-hmm. Um, and her first vision was of Jasper. And she Jasper. knew they would be, like, together, that they were, like, soulmates. But she also knew that he wasn't ready for her at the moment. Uh, I'm just, I'm not ready for a relationship. Right I mean, now. like, he was off doing his own shit. She knew there was, like, the right time that yeah. they would meet up. Um, and she also knew that they would join the Cullens. And so she decided to, you know, take up the vegetarian lifestyle in advance. <laughs> She's like, well, I'm going to have to do this at some point. Exactly. So she Damn. was working on that. Then It's like heart disease running in your family. You go <laughs> ahead and cut out steaks. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm just going to, I'm going to go and get a heads up on this one. <laughs> And then so she eventually meets Jasper at a diner. Mm-hmm. She's like there waiting for him. And they spend a couple of years together alone. And then until like she knows that the Cullens are ready to meet them. Right. And then they all meet up. And yeah, the rest is history. Wow. Yeah. And then there was a podcast. <laughs> and then there was the podcast. Well, that was great, babe. That, that worked out perfect. I'm I'm glad we both kind of keyed in on the Alice angle. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm glad it, I didn't read your a... part ahead because I, I wanted to write mine more on just the note, like what, what, what I would know would be the problems with that electroshock therapy in an asylum from what I've read from Sylvia Plath. Yeah. Kind of the point of that. No, that so is great. But that's interesting that, that it uh, worked out. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> we didn't plan it that way, folks. Um, I, I'm very. I'm surprised a couple times now 
where you've given us, I, I think it was Esme too, where we've gotten backstory or backstory I was expecting to get in the story proper that we aren't. So I'm curious yeah. to see what we are getting in the story. And I guess it's not going to be a lot of learning about people. I Because I was predicting Alice's past and everything, why she can't remember it was going to be a much more plot centric idea no i mean deal. all you really know is that she doesn't mm -hmm. have that great memory yeah that's interesting yeah I and i wonder if uh steffi steffi m set it up maybe wanted to do something with them didn't work out and she just saved it possibly. just to get back to it later i'm always curious how how what things authors plan out because like you think like jacob wasn't planning to come back so you never know that's true you but know. i mean other characters you do get backstory but there yeah there are some mm -hmm. things that are like hidden um, that just from... seemed clearly like a setup to a mystery that we were right. going to find out later. Yeah, but that's not the story. The story is about Bella and Edward. What a story it is. Which we will be concluding the first book of that story next week. Holler. Holler. Holla, girl. What up? Well, thank you, guys. That's going to be it from us. Great job, Jess. Thank you. Great job, Spence. I kind of already said it, but what are we going to get next week? Next week, we're going to get the last two chapters of mm -hmm. the book plus the epilogue. Epilogue. Yes. Oof. Can't it's wait. It's done. I can't believe we're already about to be done with the I first know. book. So... And we haven't made any money. No money. Ah, I would have thought I could have quit by now. But, you know, <laughs> we're going to keep grinding. But thank we don't do this for the money, folks. We do this because we enjoy it. <laughs> Says, you know, I don't do this for the money. Well, well, but we hope you enjoyed we, we everything so far. We won't ever do this for the money until we make money. And then it's then only it for the money. Then it will be for the money. But up <laughs> until that day, it will only be for creative Output? fulfillment. Oh. <laughs> it says well, says the book lover who can't think of the word fulfillment. Well, if you do want to give us money, you guys mm -hmm. can go to twilightpod.com and you will find our support button there. Also, but more than that, we'd love you guys just to comment, reach out to us. We really just want to talk to you guys. We want to hear from anyone who has any questions or just want to say anything. Hell yeah. We'll read your question on air or at least talk about it or something. But yeah, we just want to interact with you guys. Yeah. If you want to interact with us, you can also like us on Facebook, Instagram, mm. and mm. Twitter, yeah. all at Twilight Pod. And our intro song is by my buddy Alex Chavez. You can check out more of his music on his Facebook page, Vintage Attire Music. As always, guys, open up that book, but don't get a paper cut. Yikes, I actually currently have a paper cut, well, and it sucks. Oh, but man. you know what, guys? You don't suck. You don't. And I hope you continue to not suck. Like in the metaphor. I'm sorry. I'm making noise. Like in the metaphorical sense. Because like, yeah. I mean, like if you want to suck. You, you want to suck like, some stuff. Suck you it. can. Yeah. I, we've made this clear. Yeah. But also like. Pro suck like podcast. don't be like a shitty person. Suck. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, everyone go look for those ballots. They're out there. <laughs> we'll turn this thing around. <laughs> no. <laughs> So think, oh. <laughs> I thought we were doing our new catchphrases. Think critically. And stay sparkling. Bye. No, but for real, we got to find those ballots. Babe, we're not Republican. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs>